Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Nihongo Master Podcast. I'm your host Azra and I'm looking forward to being your guide through another part of Japan's unique culture. Well, maybe excited isn't the right word. Today's topic is the sort of thing that keeps me up at night with my head hidden under the covers. Because, with Halloween just around the corner, we're going to be talking about Japanese ghost stories. Now, if you're a film fan, you'll be well aware that Japanese ghost stories are some of the most terrifying out there. It takes a brave soul to get through the whole of the Gretch of the Ring without hiding behind a cushion. But the Nippon horror tradition actually goes way further back than that. Superstitious villagers in Japan have been swapping ghostly folktales called Kaidan for centuries, and plenty of them could give any modern Hollywood horror flick a run for its money. These stories are filled with restless spirits, flesh-eating monsters, and enough blood and guts to make George A. Romero weep with joy. We'll be looking at three different ghost stories from Japan, which were collected and translated by the famous gaijin writer Lafcardio Hearn, who lived here around 120 years ago. Along the way, we'll be covering some suitably spooky vocab on all things supernatural. Now, I should warn you before we go on. These are proper ghost stories. They're scary, gory, and not at all kid-friendly. Please only listen if that's all good with you. If so, then dim the lights, grab your crucifix, or any religious item of choice, and let's get started. Jealousy is natural. Every couple has to deal with it at some point or another. It's just a matter of how you process it. Do you communicate openly and honestly? Do you become passive-aggressive? Or do you maybe reach out from the afterlife to dish out some murderous vengeance? I guess it just depends on your personality. You probably know a fair few people who complain about their exes. But no matter how bad they are, they all seem like child's play once you hear the first story in our Halloween lineup, which proves that grudges can be 10 times as toxic if you hold on to them past death. In the city of Izumo, in the far west of Japan, a young samurai sat by his wife's bedside as she struggled through the final few hours of her life. With her strength fading, she told him that she wasn't afraid to die. In fact, she was ready for it. What worried her was imagining someone else coming to take her place as the woman of the house. Darling, said her husband, you know that could never happen. I'll never love anyone else as long as I live. But anyway, let's not plan for the worst. We're going to get through this. But the lady of the house knew her husband was being naive. She was going to die. Not 10 years from now, not next month. She would die that morning. But despite that sad fact, she was overjoyed. The love of her life would only ever have eyes for her. And now she could have the ideal, Usoshiki, funeral she had been daydreaming about. See, she wanted to be buried at their home, not in some cemetery, Bochi in Japanese. The samurai vowed that he would place her tomb in the most beautiful part of the garden, right under the plum trees they had planted together the year before. She had just one more request. Could he possibly get her a little bell? Those holy trinkets were all the rage among pilgrims, so she wanted one placed in beside her. The distraught samurai promised he would, and with that, watched the woman he had planned to spend his life with slip away for good. Well, so he thought. Anyway, life went on. The samurai went about his samurai business, while his wife rested in peace at the end of the garden, with her boseki, that's tombstone, in the shade of the plum trees. That could have been the end of the story, but hey, this is Asia, and the samurai didn't have any kids yet. As I'm sure a lot of you will know, when you reach a certain age and still aren't married with kids, Asian parents can get pretty pushy to say the least, which is not something I particularly enjoy at family gatherings. And as the sole son in the family, the samurai could only put up with the pressure for so long. 
so he did the only thing he could and got himself a hot new young bride. Not only did he marry her, but he also brought her into his home to live, the same home where his ex was buried at the end of the garden. I mean, it's kind of a major red flag when your date tells you his ex is buried in the yard, but apparently she was cool with it. Neither of them were particularly superstitious anyway, so little thought was given to the ohaka, or tomb, at the end of the garden. So, the couple began living together, and the samurai's second child love seemed like a total bullseye. They were matchmate in heaven and lived happily ever after, for like a week. Because then, the samurai was called out for a night shift at the castle, leaving his wife all alone in their big old house. As the hour of the ox rolled around, which runs from 1am to 3am, she heard a noise outside, a faint tingling. As it grew louder, the young woman recognised the sound, a Buddhist priest's bell, the kind that people took on pilgrimages. Rather than telling the wandering priest to shut the hell up because people were trying to sleep, she just waited for him to pass. But the noise didn't pass. It got louder and louder. And soon, it was right next to the back of the house. As the dog started howling downstairs, the woman's heart leapt out of her chest. She tried to get up to investigate, to call for some help, but she was completely paralyzed from head to toe. And then, in the dim twilight, she saw a figure drift through the screen door. Hanging over her head was a woman, her eyes rotted out, skin tight and dry, and grey hair hanging in thin clumps from her skull. She was wrapped in a dirty and tattered funeral shawl, and in her hand held a pilgrim's bell. This unsightly corpse hung there in the air for a moment before speaking. I'm the lady of this house. Leave at once, and if you tell anyone the reason why, I'll tear you into pieces. And with that, she was gone. Now, as daylight rolled around and her limbs started working again, the young girl started to rationalise what she had seen. Absolutely terrifying, yes. But it could have just been a bout of sleep paralysis, right? Just a bad dream. No such luck, because the next night, with her husband still away at the castle, the exact same thing happened with the exact same warning. It seemed the ex-wife really had returned as an onryo, a vengeful ghost. So when the samurai came back from the castle, he found his new wife distraught. She came to him crying, begging to divorce him and go back home. The samurai thought, what the hell? I'm gone for two days and she already wants a divorce? Did she fall in love with a mailman or something? He quizzed her and offered to divorce her amicably if he could just understand why she was breaking his heart like this. So she spilled the beans. Well, it's your ex-wife. She came to me as a horrifying corpse ghost and told me to get out. Good enough reason? Well, no actually, not for this samurai. He chalked it up to stress and convinced his bride that it really all was just an akuma, a nightmare. Clearly, she was nervous about starting her new life and all that anxiety was wound up in a crazy nightmare about the woman she had come to replace. But still, he felt sorry that he'd left her all alone like that. When he had to return to the castle again that night, he brought in two of his most trusted and cheerful men to distract his wife with jokes and stories. Then, when it was time for bed, the guards stuck down behind a screen in the bedroom and settled in for the night watch. When dawn came, the samurai returned home, thinking how to best tease his wife for being so damn superstitious. When he reached the front step, he hopped through the front door, skipped up the stairs, slid open the bedroom door and… Oh, okay. Oh no. Lying on the bed, he saw his young wife at the centre of a pool of blood, or chi, 
soaking into the futon. Her head was torn from her body entirely. He scrambled over to behind the screen where he found his two guards who had done about as terrible a job as possible, frozen still. When he shouted at them, they came too and gaped in amazement at the gore all over the mattress. After calming themselves down, three men followed a trail of blood which led to a bedroom doorway. It took them to the back entrance to the house, then past the bamboo groves and ponds of the garden. At the end, they reached the grave beneath the ume, the plum trees, and the samurai was reunited with his wife, both of them actually, because standing in front of the open tomb was the grey and decayed body of wife number one, and in her hand, the head of wife number two, her face twisted in terror. Rather than doing the sensible thing and running away to the other side of the planet, one of the gods swung at the standing corpse with his sword, which crumbled into a heap, with one rotten hand still ripping at the face of the dismembered head on the floor. Well, that was pretty intense. Let's all decompress with a little vocab recap and try to shift those images out of our heads. Oso shiki. Funeral. Japanese funerals are very different from Western ones. For example, it's Shinto tradition for close relatives to use special chopsticks to pick up a piece of bone fragment from the remains after the cremation and place it in an urn. Bochi. Cemetery or graveyard. Boseki. Tombstone. Ohaka. Tomb or grave. These first four funerary words will be quite useful if you settle in Japan long term, but hopefully you don't come across any of the next one. Onryo, a vengeful spirit, like Sadako from The Ring, for example. But the more general word for any kind of ghostly spirit is Yure. Akuma, nightmare. Although for bad dreams which aren't quite as severe, you can use Warui Yume. Chi, blood. Ume, plum tree. But it's also the word for the fruit itself, as used in Umeshu, a sweet plum wine. Okay, so our first story was pretty bloody, pretty tragic, pretty sad. Next, let's go for something a little weird instead. Today's second story also features heads parted from bodies, sure, but not in the way you think. You see, in addition to standard ghosts, scary Japanese spirits come in all shapes and sizes. There are faceless demons, flesh-eating cat monsters, flaming wagon wheels with screaming heads in the middle. The list goes on and on. And it gets even weirder the deeper you go. This next story features one of my favourite strange Japanese spooks, which can make for a pretty impressive Halloween costume if you're stuck for ideas this year. This is a story about the Rokurokubi. Long ago, there lived a samurai named Taketsura-san from the southern island of Kyushu. He made a name for himself serving a clan in his homeland. But by the mid-1400s, this clan had fallen apart. And, like many of us this year, Taketsura found himself out of a job. It would be another few centuries before he could collect an unemployment check. And the idea of retiring young on a beach somewhere wasn't really his style. So, he decided to become a soryo, a priest and wander through Japan to preach in some of the most remote corners of the country. Other priests wouldn't even dream of hitting the mountain roads and braving bandits and bears, but it was no big deal for an ex-samurai. And so one night, on one of those mountain roads miles from civilization, darkness began to fall, and Taketsura decided to call it a day 
As he settled down on the comfiest patch of moss he could find, he heard footsteps coming down the road. It was a woodcutter with a bag of chopped wood slung over his shoulder. He spotted this mad guy just lying out in the open and said, Mate, what are you doing? You're going to end up getting eaten, or worse. There are all kinds of monsters and goblins roaming around these parts. Taketsura told him not to worry. He was a priest, so he had nothing to fear from ghosts and goblins. The woodcutter said that that was fair enough, but why chance it? He had a hut nearby, a koya. It wasn't much, but he would happily put Taketsura up for the night, rather than to have come collect the pieces of him the next morning. Taketsura thought about it and... Yeah, okay. Sleeping outside is great for a holy man and all, but maybe a proper bed would be nice at least once or twice a week. So the two set off for the cabin, scrambling through bushes and scratching themselves on branches, until they reached the clearing at the top of the hill. As far as humble homes go, it was pretty nice. The light from the little thatched hut showed a vegetable garden and shed out the back. The whole thing was surrounded by cedar trees, with a waterfall, a taki, glistening above the treetops. The two men headed to the shed, and washed their feet at a bamboo pipe which ran from the waterfall to the hut. After that, they went inside, where the priest was introduced to four other occupants, two men and two women. Something about the fancy way they all spoke sounded strange for a group of secluded peasants. So Taketsura had to ask, You don't sound like commoners. Did you guys used to be part of the nobility or something? The woodcutter seemed pleased that he asked, Yes, that's right. Actually, I was born a samurai, and I was pretty successful. But I love the sake and the ladies just a bit too much and... Well, let's just say it didn't end well. Now it's my life goal to make amends for the damage I caused. Every chance I get, I try to do good. In fact, that's why I invited you here tonight. Taketsura sensed the guy was genuinely full of remorse. So he told him that he shouldn't be so hard on himself. There was still time to balance out his karma if he kept living a good life. So he promised to pray for him that night by reciting some scripture from his books. And with that, they all went off to bed. For a few hours in his little side room, Taketsura sat by candlelight reading some passages from his holy books. Eventually, he started to feel tired and took one last look out the window into the calm night air, listening to the water rushing down in the distance. He started to get a little thirsty and remembered the bamboo pipe out back. So he rose out of bed and tiptoed to the bedroom door, careful not to wake up his hosts. When he slid open the screen door, he froze. Actually, it didn't look like his hosts would be waking up anytime soon. They were Shinda. Dead. Beheaded, more specifically. Five bodies lay heaped around the fire pit, the victims of a satsujin, a murder. But hold on a second. Why was there no blood? If bandits had broken in and cut five people's heads off, surely there would have been some blood, or some noise for that matter. Then he noticed the stumps. The necks of the bodies were totally smooth and flat. That's when it clicked. These weren't people at all. They were yokai. And he had heard of this particular type of yokai before too. Taketsura racked his brains, flicking through his mental pokedex of all the horrible monsters of Japan. Eventually, he remembered the name. These were Rokurokubi, monsters who could detach their heads at night and send them flying off to hunt for prey. Luckily, he also remembered the way to beat them. If you find the unattended body of a Rokurokubi, you should hide it because if the head returns to find its body missing, it'll cry out, smash itself into the floor three times, then die. So that's what he did. Taketsura dragged the woodcutter's body and dumped it out of a window. Then, he snuck to the back door, unlocked it, and creeped out into the woods. Looking out into the clearing, 
He saw five heads slowly flitting about through the air, every now and then drifting down into the floor and rising with a mouthful of dirt-covered mimizu, worms. Between bouts of munching on bugs, the heads were speaking to one another. They spoke about how fat and meaty the body of the priest was and how they couldn't wait to tear into him. The woodcutter head said, My bad, I shouldn't have given him that whole spiel about personal redemption. It'll be hard to go near him while he's reciting his prayers. You, go check if he's asleep yet. One of the woman's heads floated high into the sky, drifting down through the smoke hole into the roof of the house. Moments later, it flew out in a panic, flitting from side to side. We have a problem. Well, I mean, you have a problem. The priest is gone and so is your body. The head of the heads freaked. His hair shot up as if electrified and he tore at the air with his teeth. He started screaming out, Find him! If I have to die then I'm damn sure taking that priest with me. I'll tear him apart. At the sound of all this screeching, Taketsura was shaken, feeling kyofu, that's fear or terror, for the first time. He grabbed a thick branch from the floor just in case. And at just that moment, he was spotted behind the tree. The heads all turned screaming and rushed through the air at the priest. With the branch in hand, he smacked the first one away, then the next, and on and on as they kept on flying at him. Five centuries before baseball would come to Japan, Taketsura was already smashing some top-class home runs. But as he began to tire, he missed the woodcutter's final rush and found the head chomping down on the sleeve of his robes. He smashed at the head over and over again, but its jaws were locked tight. After a few more solid knocks to the temple and one last moon, it stopped thrashing around and hung lifeless from his arm. By this point, dawn had started to break over the treetops. The beaten and bruised heads panicked and fled back into the house, then ran into the forest with their bodies attached once more. After a few moments to collect himself, Takatsura continued on his merry way with the woodcutter's head still hanging off his clothes, thinking about what a great story this would all make once he got to town. Apparently nothing could face this guy. As he reached the next settlement on the road, people were less than pleased to see him. A priest, marching through the streets carrying a human head, giggling like a straight-up psychopath. Obviously, he was arrested and brought to trial for murder. When he shared his story with the court, the officials assumed he must have been munching on some forbidden roadside mushrooms and sentenced him to death. But just before he was dragged off to be beheaded, one old magistrate stopped them. He asked to see the head which Taketsura brought up to the front of the hall. He had apparently been allowed to go on trial with it still hanging from his robe like a trophy, which I don't think is common these days. Sure enough, it was just as the old man suspected. The neck showed no sign of being cut. It was as smooth and clean a joint as on a Lego figure, and on the stump were some strange red kanji which are a dead giveaway for Rokurokubi, meaning our hero could walk free and go on to preach the good word for years to come. So I guess the moral of the story is, don't trust anyone, always hide beheaded bodies, um, maybe there's no real takeaway here. Here's a quick vocab recap instead. Soryo, Buddhist priest. Koya, a hut, cottage or shed. Taki, waterfall, as in the name Nachi no Taki, Nachi Falls, the tallest in Japan. Shinda, dead. You might have heard that when Japanese people count, they avoid saying shi, which means four. Instead, they say yon, 
because she is actually also the word for death, so it's unlucky. That's why you'll see she in all sorts of related words like shino, to die, or shibokokoku, obituary. Satsujin, murder. This is the noun and the common verb is korosu, to kill, as in kare wa yokai o koroshita, he killed the monster. Yokai, a wide word for all kinds of Japanese goblins, spirits and monsters. Mimizu, worm. Kyofu, a noun meaning fear, terror, dread, all that kind of horrible stuff. This is actually a key part of the Japanese word for phobias. Kyofusho, so arachnophobia, the fear of spiders, is just kumo kyofusho, fear of heights. Kosho kyofusho, it's just noun plus kyofusho. Easy, right? Our final story today is a little like the first, in that it has a touch of domestic drama. The ghost at the center of it is another woman wronged, which is a pretty common theme in Japanese horror. I mean, the ghost in the grudge was killed by her husband. The girl in the ring was thrown down a well. There are also plenty of modern urban legends with this theme like the slit-mouthed woman, who was disfigured by a man and hunts the streets of cities killing people with scissors. So what horrible thing happened to the spirits in this story? Well. She was divorced. This is the story of how to beat a literal ex from hell with nothing but a touch of magic and a decent amount of upper body strength. And of all our stories, it has the most fitting black metal title, The Corpse Rider. Around a couple of hundred years ago, a newly divorced man headed out for a trip, probably to clear his head after the stress of splitting up with his spouse. She had been totally devastated which made for a messy recon, that's divorce. The whole affair had not been particularly quiet or easy for either of them. After a few days out on the road trying to figure out life as a newly single man again, the man returned home to his village. But when he got back, he wasn't met with friendly faces. People turned to him with panicked eyes and whispered to each other as he passed. As he got to the centre of town, he was approached by one of his neighbours, who told him the bad news. His ex-wife was gone dead of a broken heart. And if her final words had been anything to go by, this broken heart was filled with rage for the one who had left her. When he heard this, he got goosebumps, torihada in Japanese, because he knew what it meant. Somebody who died with that much anger wouldn't pass on easily. They would become an onryo, unable to rest until they had revenge. In fact, everyone in the village knew this was the case, so they hadn't even bothered to bury the woman. I mean, why go all the trouble of digging a grave and building a nice tomb when the ungrateful body is just going to smash it to pieces when she goes off hunting for blood? Better to just leave her out in her home, where she now lay, cold and still. Okay, the man took a deep breath. It was only about 8am in Ryu no Jikan, the hour of the dragon, so he had a whole day to prepare. Should he barricade his house and grab a spear? Hmm, there'd be no match for an onryo. Maybe try to put as many miles between him and the corpse as possible? Nah, they were fast. Call the Ghostbusters? No, damn it, phones hadn't been invented yet. But wait, there was someone kind of like an old timey Ghostbuster he could call. The local shaman. So he visited this elderly wise man and told him about his predicament. The shaman made the unhappy bachelor swear to obey his every word. And the two returned to the village together as Nichibotsu, sunset, loomed near. 
Obviously, all of the neighbors had cleared out in case they became a piece of collateral damage on the spirit's quest for revenge. So as they approached the house, everything was eerily quiet all around. As they went on the front steps, the men started to panic. No, no, actually he'd take his chances on the road. He couldn't even bear to go inside and look at her. Get yourself together, said the shaman. You've come this far and you agreed to do everything I said, so get inside. He slid open the door and the two of them stepped through. In the centre of the main room, they saw the body of the woman lying there peacefully, face down. They looked on for a moment in silence. Okay, the shaman said, now get on her. What? I said, get on her. Sit on her back like you're riding a horse. Do it. Excuse me, I told you my ex-wife is going to rise from the dead to murder me. And your solution is for me to sit on her like I'm riding a horse. The shaman rolled his eyes, exasperated. Yes, like a horse. Do you want to live or not? Don't question me. Of course, the man did want to live. And at this point, he didn't really have any other option. So he did as he was told. He closed his eyes, gritted his teeth and sat on the body, eyes cold underneath him. Okay, now you'll want to grab the hair and grab it tight. If you let go before morning, you're dead for sure. You have to promise to stay in the exact position until I come get you. The man agreed. What choice did he have? And after whispering a short jumon, a spell, into the body's ear, the shaman left the man alone in the silent house. Hours went by and total darkness seeped into the room. With his legs aching and heart racing, the man shouted out in frustration and fear. Then at just that moment, the body threw itself upwards with a start and the man was almost sent rolling across the room. He bit his tongue and waited for another sign of movement. Feeling as the Japanese say, Kimo o Hiyasu, so terrified he was frozen stiff. Slowly the corpse rose to its feet, its joints creaking and cracking as it moved. After a moment, it began to walk, then suddenly bounced outside, throwing open the doors as the onryo and its rider took off into the blackness. The men held on with all his strength as they rushed down the pitch black country roads, thin branches whipping against his arms and legs. The only sounds he could hear were the thin, reedy breath of the corpse and the patter of its sprinting feet. Hours passed like this, with the men paralysed in terror and hanging on for dear life. The icy chill of the night air scraped across his cheeks and made his eyes water, but he didn't dare to make a sound, despite all the pain. Then, after what seemed like an eternity, he found himself once again moving up the front steps of the hut. He slowly processed what had happened. The corpse had made its way back through the village and now it was settling down onto the tatami of the house, in the exact same position as before. The man was relieved to be able to rest his burning arms, but he wasn't taking any chances. He kept clinging onto the body, clenching his teeth and clamping his eyes shut until he felt a tap on his shoulder and turned in shock. Hey, you did it, well done! It was the shaman. Morning had come and the first sunlight was filtering in through the windows. The man finally let go of the hair which was wrapped around his fists, both of them crumpled and trembling from the effort. As the shaman helped the man up to his feet, he explained that now they had tricked the corpse into thinking he was gone for good. She wouldn't be bothering him ever again. Oh, and also, he should probably make sure his next marriage was built to last. There was a solid chance he wouldn't be able to survive another divorce.
And that's the last of our Japanese horror stories for today. Time for one last vocab recap before we wrap up. Rikon, divorce. That's the noun, but if you want to describe an ex-couple as divorced, you can use the verb rikonchita. Torihada, goosebumps. It's very similar to the English word because it literally means bird, tori, skin, hada. The verb phrase for to get goosebumps is torihada gatatsu. Ryu, dragon, the Chinese style of dragon specifically, which you'll see in lots of traditional festival parades here. I also talked about the hour of the dragon. Now, I've mentioned these animal hours a couple of times today, so let me explain. In old Japan, the day was divided into 12 two-hour chunks, with each assigned an animal from the Chinese zodiac. Seven to nine belong to the dragon. Obviously, nobody uses this nowadays, so do not go saying it's snake o'clock if a Japanese person asks you the time. Nichibotsu, sunset. Quite appropriately, this word combines the kanji for day, which can be read as nichi, with the kanji meaning death, botsu. The opposite is hinode, sunrise. Jumon, a magic spell. Kimo o hiyasu, an idiom meaning terrified, kind of like scared stiff. The literal meaning is that your liver is frozen, because the liver, the kimo, is used in a lot of Japanese idioms to express severity. And that's all for our special Halloween episode. If you enjoyed the stories, then you'll probably love the writings of Lafcadio Hearn, whose collections of folktales make today's show possible. His books aren't all total horror fests. They're actually also filled with all sorts of interesting insights into Japanese culture. And if you've got an itch to pick up some more Japanese language, Nihongo Masa has you covered. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and the official website to learn more about our innovative online learning system. Thanks so much for joining me today, folks, and I hope you'll tune in next time when we dive into another part of Japan's rich and ancient culture. Oh, and have a happy Halloween! Matane!